You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. While they are passing that out, I want to clarify something really quick. And before the kiddos go, I want to do a couple of things. One, one is, I want you to know uh, that, um, let me back up, let me start over. So I've seen it spread around on Facebook, the, the post about the pastor. Don't lift him up on a pedestal, but pray for him instead. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. Amen and amen and amen. Like that, share that, heart it, whatever you do. Okay, so amen and amen. I am a human. I make mistakes. The other thing I want to do this morning is model admitting that to you. And it, apologize for maybe confusion that I may have caused last week about where we want to place our flags here. Okay, we love our flag. We love our country. We're grateful for it. We're grateful for our veterans. We simply want them to be displayed in a better location than where they currently are. If you don't know, they're in the back of our room. We'll put them in the lobby. That way, everybody sees them when they come in. It's not a, I didn't even know where it was. It's seen there for everybody. And yet this space is where we worship God. Okay? So we pray to God and grateful for our country, grateful for our veterans. I didn't explain that well last week. I apologize. I didn't give the other elders a heads up, and I apologize to all of you. I wanted to do that publicly. Um, let you know that I make mistakes, and I'm willing to admit those. Um, and so, appreciate your grace in that. Appreciate your humility. Appreciate the couple of those of you who have come to me and wanted more clarification. I always welcome that. If I ever say anything, you're like, I don't know what you meant by that. Let's talk. Let's talk. I would love to be able to further explain because it's God's grace. I don't blow it more often. I mean, if I open my mouth and more than 10 words come out, there's a really good chance that something's going to be it. So you can ask my family. Um, so anyways, I apologize for that and I thank you for that. So I wanted to get that away, out of the way up front. I wanted to say that. I wanted to say that with the kids in here because I think that they need to hear uh, us as adults, us as leaders, willing to own our mistakes and apologize for them. So, all right. I think we've got some great letters, leaders lined up for you, kindergarten through third grade. So you are dismissed now if you'd like to. You're also always welcome to stay with us. All right. Let me move up here now. I've got to be up here later as well. We've got a special morning lined up, you guys. We get to celebrate a baptism. That's the smell. If you're smelling that chlorine, that's, that's what that is. So no uh, line didn't break or anything like that. So we get to celebrate a baptism. I'm super excited about that. And by God's grace, our text lines up perfectly with it. Our text this morning of Colossians, I could have never planned it this well, but our text this morning lines up with that. It also talks about a military parade and a procession and an additional honor to our veterans, and I'm super excited about that part as well. I also want to make this statement very quickly about how the families of those who serve are just as much worthy of honor and respect. 
in my opinion. I would far rather be the soldier on the battlefield than be the one at home praying and waiting and anxious. I mean, that's, that's just me personally. And so I can't imagine what they go through, what they feel, uh, whether they're uh, serving abroad or serving here in our country and at a base or whatever, but we're just grateful for the families as well. All right, let's jump into our message out of Colossians chapter 2 this morning. We're going to be centered in on verses 11 through 15. Colossians 2, 11 through 15. The main message of this letter to this church in Colossae is the supremacy of Christ. Okay, so I'm just doing a very quick, short recap of big picture while you're turning there. The main message of Paul's letter to this church is about focusing on the supremacy of Christ and how that counters the false beliefs of their day. Last week's text specifically warning and instructing and reminding the young church and believers today. Okay, so if you were here last week, we talked about those three things. The warning, the instruction, and the reminder. The warning being that we should be proactively aware of the philosophy and empty deceit of our day today. As well, you know, for the Colossians back then, for us today. And there were two quick ways to kind of determine if it's a false belief and if we need to, we need to explore this and, and, and very carefully, prayerfully even think about it moving forward and what, what we should do with that false belief. One is, what does it say or does not say about Christ? Okay? What does this belief, what does this thing say or not say about Jesus Christ? Does it line up with what Scripture says about Christ or does it vary from that? Or does it even not mention him at all? The other thing is this, was it made up by a man or a woman? So most false beliefs religions of the day start that way. One person in a cave had a vision. One person in prayer had a vision. And this whole movement, this whole belief system is launched from that. So we want to be very careful, very, very leery of anything that starts that way or anything that is, varies from who Christ truly is according to what Scripture says. We don't want to be easily carried off by that next blog post or that next new idea. Then there's the instruction part, to be filled fully and completely with Jesus Christ through our intentional and personal time with him and his word through prayer, as well as our time together as a faith family, meeting together regularly to worship and serve God. There's that instruction part, being filled with Christ, doing that on our own, doing that together. And then the reminder Jesus Christ, the Lord, was fully God and was fully man, able to accomplish that payment on the cross for our sin. History, and we looked at three different sources of this, looking at the deity of Christ. Um, If you'd like information on that, you're welcome to email me and I can send you what we looked at. We had it printed on the back of the bulletin last week, but there was actual history, both secular as well as Christian, and archaeology that proves that Christ was here, Christ was fully man, and Christ is also fully God. In fact, more evidence than what most people on death row are convicted with today. Thus, we can be confident in surrendering our lives to Christ, being more fully filled with him each and every day. So we're going to continue our trek through this letter into verses 11 through 15 this morning. Paul expounding on what Christ accomplished for those believers and how they could be filled with Christ. And he does so with a couple of symbols. That's the title of our message. The old, the new, and a parade. The old symbol, the new symbol, and then the parade. 
giving his readers, giving us imagery to kind of help us solidify what it is he's talking about. So would you mind to stand with me one more time? And we'll read our passage this morning. If you're willing and able, uh, would you mind to stand with us? Colossians 2, 11 through 15. It'll be on the screen behind me there um, if you want to read the version that I am. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Amen. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So this morning, join me as we look at these symbols the old, the new that Paul describes, and then also the, the imagery of this parade, if you will, of verse 15, and we'll get to that towards the end. First, the old, verse 11. You were also circumcised in him with the circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. At first take, this verse could seem confusing. It could seem kind of back and forth and, and in and out and upside down a little bit, but if we're willing to dig in, we're willing to dig in as it is with the whole Bible, the whole scripture. We have the opportunity to unearth hidden treasure. And so I, I hope that it's that way. I hope that it's like as we just sang, that we hunger and thirst for him more. That there is a desperation in us when we are not in his word and not learning from it. If it's only here, it's not enough. If it's only here weekly on a Sunday, it's not enough. It's got to be in our daily lives. So let's dig in together here. And as again, as, as, as often as I can remember and try to, I'd encourage you also to do this on your own. So let's begin first off by remembering who this original audience was that Paul wrote this for. They were the new believers of this church in Colossians. They were both Jew and Greek. They, so they were being influenced by the old Jewish laws and traditions. Some God-given, some man-tacked on. Uh, God gave some, and then man kept piling it on and piling it on and piling it on. As well as the other beliefs of the day that we've talked about, those Gnostic beliefs. And just for a quick review, those Gnostic beliefs of that day were simply stating that all matter was evil. So the flesh and bones and, and this building and the chairs you're sitting in, the carpet, that stuff's evil. Knowledge is what matters most. It's all about the knowledge. Well, you could see where that'd be an issue with Christ being fully man, being wrapped in matter as well as fully God and how they could be distorting that. So that was the original audience, what he was combating against. Next, let's look at the, what circumcision is and why God asked his people to be circumcised way back in the Old Testament, okay? So the act of circumcision simply put is this, involves surgically removing the foreskin of a male. So Kids, if you're in here and you're like, what is foreskin? Ask mom or dad later, okay? I'm going to let them handle that. You're welcome. <laughs> so that's what the act is. It's removing the foreskin on a male, either as an infant, usually on the eighth day after their birth, or 
if an alien or a sojourner or somebody else were to come into God's people and become a part of them, then those males, whatever age, would also be circumcised also. And that's from, we can look at that at Genesis 17. The act itself of circumcision was a primary physical symbol to all of God's people of his covenant with Abraham. We get that from Genesis 12 and also Genesis 15. In a nutshell, that covenant was this. A promise in which God would fulfill by his sovereignty and grace. There's details here, but the the overarching purpose of the covenant was to for God to fulfill it by his grace, by his strength, by his sovereignty, and that Abraham's and his descendants' part were to basically submit and believe and obey. So God did all the heavy lifting on these covenants to fulfill them. Their part was to follow him and obey him. Now, it could be very tempting, ladies, to think that this covenant only involved the men. It was only a symbol specifically for them that somehow because of the hierarchical system back then of of men thinking they were more important than women that was often displayed during this time. But that's not true. In fact, this symbol was also for them. That hierarchical system was not a part of God's original plan, design, or purpose. That was man's skewing God's plan. The value of men and women are absolutely 100% equal in God's eyes. But women were rewinded every time they changed a baby boy's diaper. There it was, right in front of them. Or if they were with their husband and doing things that married people do. Again, kids, ask your parents. You're welcome again. So women were also constantly, regularly reminded of this covenant with God that God made with Abraham that God would fulfill. And then when Christ came, Christ abolished that old law. And we see that in Ephesians 2 and in Romans 10. And he established a new spiritual symbol for God's new covenant with his people. And that is baptism. So there's some similarities between the two. And then there's some differences. One being physical, one being spiritual. The new covenant today that God made with us through Jesus Christ and his birth, life, death, resurrection... It's fulfilled and totally and completely by him. All right? So if there is anybody out there telling you there is a way to be saved other than by what Christ did and you believing and receiving that, it's false. Okay? It is what he did for us. And we can see that throughout the New Testament and we can even see that throughout the Old Testament. There are references and evidence of Christ throughout the Old Testament. It's like God was hinting at what was to come over and over and over. Not just with the prophecies that were fulfilled, but also with even different stories. We saw it in Jonah. We saw, you can see it in Noah and the ark. You can see it when Joseph was taken into slavery. You can see it over and over and over. The word of God is so amazing. We just need to take that time to dig in. So in this verse, back to our verse, verse 11 Paul was referring to that old physical symbol of God's covenant and circumcision as a way to relate and explain to them about what Christ did for them on the cross. The flesh cut off in circumcision, similar to Christ being cut off from communion with God when he bore our sin and our shame. Okay? 
the flesh cut off in circumcision, similar to Christ being cut off from communion with God when he took on our sin, our sin and our shame on the cross. And then through Christ's act on the, Christ, on the cross, it is also as if our old sinful self was cut off. So when we trust in and receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our old self is cut off, is no more. It does not mean that we suddenly are without temptation to sin. We suddenly don't sin anymore. That's not what that means. But what it does mean is that our old self that was chained and in bondage to sin, to death and destruction, is no more. We now have new life in Christ. That's a good name for a church. But this circumcision, the old circumcision, was done with hands. This new circumcision, not done with hands. Done by the Son of God through Jesus Christ, His gospel, the good news. The beauty of this is that God was the same yesterday as he is today. In other words, God established the covenants with his people that he would fulfill. That he would help to come true. That he would enact. Today is the same thing. This new covenant is the same in that Jesus Christ has fulfilled, covered our payment. Period. He has fulfilled it. And our part is to believe and receive that. That can be so hard though, can't it? We want to have that control. We want to have the ability to think that we can earn our way. It's, it's hard when somebody just gives you a gift and not think about, oh, I'm going to make them a meal sometime and pay them back some way. Or I'm just going to slip a little something in their coat pocket when they're not looking. We're that way. Not that that's a bad thing. It can be kind of a fun blessing game, if you will, of blessing each other and trying to outdo one another, but we can't do this with Christ. There is no amount of good acts, good thoughts, evangelism, no amount of perfect sermons to be preached that could ever be enough for what he's done. Moving on to the new, verses 12 through 14, when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross." So here, Paul is transitioning to that new spiritual symbol of God's new covenant. A believer begins. So let's just talk about baptism for a second. A believer begins by standing in the water and then is immersed under the water and then is brought back out. The standing is like Christ dying on the cross, his life and dying on the cross. And then when they're buried and they're immersed under the water, it's like Christ died, he was buried, and when we bring the person back up out of the water, they are raised to walk with the newness of life, signifying Christ's resurrection. What a great, beautiful symbol. No wonder we can't help but clap and cheer for a fellow 
believer or new believer that is choosing to be baptism because it, it springs up within us that symbol. We see it visualized right in front of us of what Christ did. So while we are talking about baptism, I'm going to ask our folks to be baptized to go ahead and make their way to the back and start getting ready for that. But um, there's a couple of things that I want us to talk about what I believe that baptism is and what it is not. There can be confusion in the church about this. And so I am basing what I believe that it is, what we practice and believe here based on scripture. All right? And that's what we're going to go off of. First off, it's commanded by Christ. If you are a believer, we should be baptized. The Great Commission. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Christ asks us to do this. God wants us to be baptized as a spiritual outward symbol of the grace and mercy shown through us through Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, does it matter when you're baptized when it comes to salvation? So this is, this is feeling a little bit more like, hey, I'm learning class tile, okay? So hang with me. Does scripture say when? No, it does not. It does emphasize usually very close to salvation though, okay? So that's the camp we're going to fall in, but it doesn't mean you can't wait. I'm for one to somebody who wait. I was saved very young and it was 10 years later before I was like, I know I need to be baptized. So that's, that's part of my story. Um, I honestly, as a young kid, I was too scared to do it. I don't know what I was scared about. I love to swim, but it's far more than that, isn't it? It's far more than getting wet. And I was nervous about it. Maybe that nervousness inside of me was, am I really committing? Am I really willing to show my faith family that this is really what I'm going to be about following Christ? All that to say, God commands us to, and that's in Matthew 28. Scripture emphasizes to not wait very long, but again, there's not a definitive, hey, you need to do it by this day like there was in circumcision. So that's a difference between the two. If you want to know where I'm seeing that, where scripture emphasizes that it's close to when they accepted Christ to the repentance, it's in Acts 2, Acts 8, and Acts 16. The second thing there is about baptism is this. It's a symbolic commitment of one's union with Christ. And we see that in Romans 6, a symbolic commitment of one's union with Christ. I love how John Piper explains this, okay? You may be a fan, you may not, but his illustration analogy here is very good, I think. He says this, in comparing baptism with the symbol of a wedding ring, okay? He says, when we say in a wedding with this ring, I thee wed, we don't mean that that ring or the putting of the ring on the finger is what makes us married. That ring in and of itself does not make me married to my wife. No, it shows the covenant and symbolizes the covenant, but the covenant-making vows of the marriage is what solidifies it. So it's what's inside the believer's heart and their true repentance and believing and receiving Jesus Christ as the Lord is what causes and brings about their salvation, whereas baptism is like the wedding ring symbolizing that commitment. Does that make sense? All right. Third, I believe that it's immersion in water. Okay? I believe that that's what baptism is. Some people think you can be sprinkled and be baptized. I think that there are situations in countries where 
If you want to be baptized and you're saved and you don't have a church and a baptistry or a river and it's a drought and all you got is a cup of water, praise God, go for it. You know, there's, there's context and situations. When we are able to, as by God's grace and blessing, we have a baptistry, we're able to. And if we didn't have that, we got enough rivers around here, right? Or ponds or something. We could. But I believe that it's immersion in water as often as we are able to do that. I get this from Romans 6, Acts 8, and John 3. And again, this can be debated. And I think you understand what I mean by when I'm saying that. It's not a definitive, you have to do it or it doesn't count. But as we are able to practice it that way, we, we will. Additionally, the word baptism in the Greek means to dip or immerse. So there's kind of some additional meaning there why we, why we lean that way. All in all, what's most important to remember is that baptism is an act of obedience that symbolizes Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. He commands us to do it, asks us to do it, and we have the opportunity and the blessing to do that with other believers, other brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a celebration. Who doesn't want their closest friends and family to come to their wedding? If they're in good relationship, right? <laughs> let, me, let me put a, a, a fine print on that. It's the same with baptism. Why wouldn't we want other believers to see and celebrate this with us? Baptism is not a mere tradition or ritual. I also do not see that in Scripture where baptism is for an unbeliever. It is always tied to repentance in the New Testament. And there are multiple scripture verses there uh, that we can refer to that. It's also why we don't believe in infant baptism here. I am not saying that the Presbyterian Church and other churches are wrong in doing that. I think if you explore that and talk to most of their leaders, they say this is kind of like our baby dedication, is what it means for them in most cases. But it's why we want to sit down and have a conversation with you, the elders do if you want to be baptized. We want to know what's going on in your heart. We want this external symbol of a wedding ring, baptism, to mean what you've really chosen in your heart, as best as we can tell. Only God knows your heart. So, that's what baptism, we believe it is, and what we practice here, that's what it is not. So hopefully that's kind of an understanding in case you wondered where we stood on it. Now you know. I fully believe that in a room this large, there's people here that may not believe the same way that we do about baptism. And that's okay. That's okay. This isn't, this isn't a gospel issue. This isn't saying there's another way besides Christ to heaven and your salvation. All right? That's quite all right if you do. You're welcome here. All right? You're welcome to come talk to me about this afterward. If you want more further clarification or you want to share why you believe what you do. I would love to have those conversations as well. As long as we're promoting peace and humility with each other in those conversations. Okay, moving on. Look at verse 14 again with me. He raised the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. I'm going to just let you settle in that for just a second. Read that to yourself again.
the imagery that Paul is giving us here about our sin producing debt. A debt that can only be paid by an unblemished and perfect sacrifice. The Son of God. It is absolutely the only currency that can take care of our debt and our trespasses that our sin causes. How valuable is that currency? There's only one Son of God. The more rare something is, the more valuable it is. It is infinitely valuable. Who here hasn't felt the weight of financial debt outside of the kiddos in the room? Who here hasn't felt the burden of a mortgage or a car payment or taxes owed or maybe all of the above all at once, medical bills, and how heavy and burdensome that can be and that can feel. And yet Christ took the very most expensive debt, nailed it to the cross, those liens of our sin that opposed us, they're gone. Have you ever gotten the car title back or the mortgage back in the mail or whatever it is, stamped paid? Isn't that a good feeling if you've experienced that? Listen, in the Lamb's book of life in heaven, this is me thinking about imagery. I'm not taking this from a specific passage in scripture, but just imagine it with me. The Lamb's book of life, our name, chosen by Christ, saved by Christ, receiving his grace, boom. The amount of debt owed, paid in full. Paid in full. I love that. We could just stop right there almost, couldn't we? (laughs) Call it a day. But there's another verse that's really good, so we're not. On May 8th of 1945, millions around the world celebrated the end of World War II, calling it VE Day. Around the globe, people stormed the streets in celebration, victory of the Allied forces. The celebration lasting days in some places. What that meant for the world, what that meant for the nation, what that meant for those who had lost loved ones, those who are missing loved ones, those who, who are oppressed. And by God's grace and sovereignty, those veterans and those families who served our country and still do, we have the freedom that we have today that we should not take for granted. Now look at verse 15 with me. Keep that picture in your mind. You've seen pictures of EE Day, right? You've seen them all. If you haven't, you can Google them uh, when you get home. Just celebration, jubilant joy going on around the world. Verse 15, Paul here describing a similar version of that. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. The differences between VE Day and what Paul's describing here is that the rulers and authorities that Christ disarmed were not the Nazis. They were not the Italians. They were not the, opposing, the opposer, opposition to the allied forces. In fact, they are not flesh and blood at all. But rather Satan and his demonic forces that oppose Christ and his church. You see, at the cross, Satan and his forces were defeated 
forever. Forever. Yes, there are still skirmishes. Absolutely. There are still battles, pockets of rebellion rising up here and there, still skirmishes that are going on. That's why we feel the longings of heaven that we feel and desire. But when Christ rose from the grave, Satan's fate was sealed. It was done. And he has an an eternal date, a future date, that only Christ knows, only God knows, I believe, actually. Um, But that future eternal date is with the lake of sulfur. That's his future home. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to stir up enough things along the way until then that he can. He's attacking God by going through his image bearers, us. And so that's why we can feel like wave after wave after wave of it seems like everything's hitting us at once. But the imagery of this verse that Paul is portraying here is a military procession. Imagine it with me. A military procession down heaven's streets of gold. I don't know that this will happen, but this is the imagery that Paul gave us in this verse, so I'm going to run with it for a little bit, if you'll give me some liberty. Jesus Christ, being the conquering general, if you will, much higher ranked than general. The armament of angels and legions of angels and prayers of the saints and missionaries and and average Joe and average Betty church members who faithfully served God, loving him, loving others, making disciples. And then Satan and his demonic forces in shackles and chains, whipped, fleeced, Flesh, flesh cheeks, tails between their legs if they even have tails. Being embarrassed and shamed in their defeat. That is the imagery that Paul is giving us here. Disarming the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. It's hard for us to even imagine that today. Now in world history that was practiced not fairly often. You know, they would take their enemies that they defeated and humiliated lots of times naked, drag them down the middle of the street being like, hey, and the crowd would cheer and spit on them and throw rotten fruit at them and we beat you. But this is Christ leading and Satan is demonic forces, ashamed, whipped, and done. He triumphed over them. I hate for those who have served in our military that there is not more opportunities in the battles that have been fought in the last several decades since World War II where there has not been more celebration for them in their efforts. There is not a VE day that they can point back to in celebration of everybody cheering together with them and alongside them. This world's not our home. And in our first citizenship with Jesus Christ in heaven, we will all celebrate that together. We will all celebrate that together. So would you celebrate with me one small step of that?
as Paul Horner has the privilege and honor of, of baptizing his granddaughter. If you guys are ready back there, you want to come on in? I'm going to try to stay out of the way of the pictures, parents and grandparents, but I need to hold the mic so we can hear them. This is my blessing. <clears throat> I had the privilege of baptizing my kiddos, and now I'm my first grandchild. And so this is a blessing. It is. Jessica, I want to ask you a couple questions, baby. Who is the living Son of God? Jesus. Who died on the cross for your sins? Jesus. Hmm. Who rose from the dead three days later by the power of God? Jesus. Hmm. And who is your Lord and Savior? Jesus. Amen. Amen. So as your papa, I baptize you, my granddaughter, and my sister. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ways to walk in newness of life. <laughs> Amen and amen. Praise God. There's almost nothing better than that. Hmm. Got to figure out where I'm at now. If you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and yet you've yet to take that symbol, would you... Would you be willing to talk to me or Tony or Gary uh, about that? Uh, we would love to celebrate with you in the same way as well. So that, that's an open invitation all the time. It just takes a day to get that thing full and warm. So um, would love to celebrate that. In verse 10, Paul stated that Christ was over every ruler and authority here on earth now and now in verse 15 Paul expanding and expounding on Christ's authority over Satan and his demonic forces to the point of disgracing them publicly victory guaranteed all other rulers and authorities submit and bow to him all of them and what this means for us is the confidence and the hope of our current victory over sin and death with our salvation. Our physical bodies will die. But we're not done there. We're not done there. And if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our future eternity is glorious. Celebrating in parade style the victory of Jesus Christ. The old symbol of circumcision is God's reminder for his people before Christ that since Christ came and defeated death, making that final payment for all sin, baptism, baptism is now that new spiritual reminder. What glorious reminders from our text today of the old symbol, the new symbol. It's like God knows we need help learning, right? Giving us these symbols. 
reminders? I mean, he created us, so he obviously knows. Today, I can't help but do this. We don't do it often around here, but I want to give you the opportunity that if you would like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the first time, if you too want to experience that guaranteed victory, that payment in full of your sin and your shame, that sin, those trespasses and the shame, all those things you've been trying to do along the way on your own. You have desires and longings for things and you're trying to accomplish and fulfill those desires and longings through your own efforts. They're things you're doing instead of what Christ has done for you. So I'd like to give you that opportunity. I'm just going to say a simple prayer. You make the words your own. And if you do, I'd like you to, I would like to ask you to do a very courageous thing. Would you come see me afterward? I'm not going to make you walk down in front of everybody. But would you come see me afterward and tell me? As ultimately, like we cheered and clapped for Jessica, heaven will rejoice in your salvation. Well, I know there's, some, there's got to be some cheering in heaven when somebody is baptized in obedience. Scripture doesn't specifically tell us that. It does tell us that when a new believer is saved, when somebody believes and receives in Jesus Christ as the Lord, heaven erupts. Grander than if your team won the national championship. Grander than if Arkansas Razorbacks could, abs- could beat Alabama this season, which we know that's impossible. It would be a, a huger celebration eruption than that. Yeah, that's painful. Anyway, <laughs> but it's greater. It's greater and it's bigger. So I'm going to say this prayer. Make these words yours. It's not a formula. Make these words yours. And then after I finish praying, the guys are going to play a song. It's in Christ Alone, a great modern-day hymn. Um, I would love to sing that together. The words would be on the, on the screen, but no, it'll be up here leading, but we can, we can sing with the radio. We can sing with this. So let's sing that together as we, as we leave and depart and celebrate the victory of Jesus Christ in our lives this coming week. So Father God, you have made a way for us And despite our best efforts, still coming up short, still realizing there's something more we need. And this morning, I pray, Lord, that I now know that it's you. That it's only you who could make that payment for my disobedience to you, my attempts of trying to save myself through things of this world. And so, Lord Jesus, because of your life, because of your death and your willing sacrifice and then your resurrection, I can be saved. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. I need you and I believe you. And I now choose to follow you as my Lord, as my everything. Give me your help each day. Amen.